Welcome to the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast, where we interview the world's leading CEOs, business executives, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and authors. Our mission is to learn the strategies and tactics that have helped our guests succeed in business and life and share those lessons with you so that you can become the Bulletproof Entrepreneur. My name is Chia Dogu and I'm the co-founder and COO of Odogu Media Group. Odogu Media Group is a podcast marketing and new media agency that helps corporations create and amplify their story via high-quality branded audio content that builds a community of highly engaged fans who are their ideal clients for their premium products and services. And now, without further ado, on with the show. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Sales Mastery Summit. If you want to learn how to grow your sales using Gorilla B2B sales strategies, then you will definitely want to check out this summit. 10 world-class entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and sales and marketing professionals are going to share their best-kept secrets on how to grow your sales in the B2B space. You'll learn things like how to leverage your skills, how to apply LinkedIn to get non-stop leads, how to prospect and win, how to be a go-giver so that you can get more clients by actually serving them first, and of course, the art of closing the deal with your prospects and clients so that they'll feel like they're doing business with their long-lost friend. I have speakers coming from the likes of Dan Locke, Bob Berg, Paul Brody, Kimanzi Constable, Josh Elledge, Dr. Cindy McGovern, Tyle Roxon, Monique Russell, and Karen Yankovic. They'll be sharing their best-kept secrets on how you can succeed and win in your B2B sales goals in 2020. The summit starts November the 18th and 19th and will feature 30-minute actionable keynote addresses to equip you with all the tools and strategies you need to succeed. If you want to sign up, go to www.b2bsamas.com or www.b2bsalesmasterysummit.com to sign up for the B2B Sales Mastery Summit. I can't wait to see you there. Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast. My guest today is Eric Kapitulik. Eric is a well-known and well-respected leader, coach, and teammate. He served in the United States Marine Corps as both an infantry officer and a special operations officer with the First Force Reconnaissance Company. First Marine Division. As a platoon commander within his company, Eric led a team of 20 covert operations specialists on numerous special forces related missions. After leaving the special forces, Eric co-founded the program in 2008 with the sole purpose of developing better leaders and creating more cohesive teams. He and his teammates use battle-tested military principles learned in elite military organizations to help executives, athletes, and entrepreneurs develop their leadership skills so they can achieve and maintain peak performance in their various roles. I'm pleased to have Eric on the podcast today to tell us a little bit more about himself, his background and his experiences, what his company, the program does, and how those principles can help you become a bulletproof entrepreneur. So with that said, Eric, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I can't tell you how appreciative I am to uh, have the opportunity. My pleasure. My pleasure, Eric. Eric, so I mentioned your background. I talked about you being in the Marines and, you know, you starting this, your consulting company. So in your own words, tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey, you know, how you got into the military, getting out of that, what made you transition into business school and then start your own company? Yeah, absolutely. I 
Well, I, I attended the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland for my undergrad. And upon graduating, I served, I was commissioned as a United States Marine Corps officer. I served eight years on active duty as both an infantry officer and in Marine Corps Special Operations. After eight years on active duty, I was honorably discharged. And I attended the United, I'm sorry, I attended the University of Chicago Graduate School of Business. After a year and a half in finance, after graduating from Chicago, uh, I decided that I wanted to start my own, my own business. That was 11 years ago now. Uh, as far as the transition, though, from the Marine Corps out into, you know, quote unquote, uh, quote unquote, the, the civilian world. Mm -hmm. For for me, it was everybody's different. Every every member of the military is different. For me, I I love the Marine Corps. Even I guess on days where maybe I didn't love the Marine Corps, I love the Marines every single day. Um, I I really thought it was such a difficult decision for me because after eight years, I knew that hey, if I stay doing this for the next for thirty eight years, on that. When I wake up in the morning on my final day, I'm going to think back and think, man, that was amazing. Mm. I'm so glad I did it. By the same token, after eight years on active duty, there were things outside of the military, other goals that I had outside of the military that I wanted to pursue. Ultimately, that desire to pursue things outside of what had become my comfort zone is what ultimately led me to uh, leave active duty. Mm. Very fortunate that I was accepted and, and was able to attend the University of Chicago. Uh, it certainly helped me uh, get a job <laughs> in <laughs> finance. Mm -hmm. uh, but after a very short time in finance, I just it just wasn't for me. Um, mm. I worked with really, I was very fortunate. I, I, I was coming out of the University of Chicago. I was uh, offered a position and, and accepted a position at Goldman Sachs. It's a great bank, mm. really good, talented people there. I had a great experience working there and with those people and clients. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't for me, though. Mm. Uh, I felt like I was giving my 80% every morning that I woke up mm. and I had been so fortunate throughout my life at the Naval Academy in the Marines that up until that point, I always was doing something that I was passionate about. Mm. So I knew what it felt like to give my hundred percent. Mm. And I felt like I could be successful in finance, giving my 80%. I just didn't want to go through life doing it, though. Mm. And that's really what ultimately led me to founding my own company 11 years ago. Mm. Now, I, I want to interject here a little bit because I have a degree in finance myself and I worked on Wall Street a little bit with PwC. And everybody knows Goldman Sachs is basically the gold standard of finance. You know, once you get into Goldman, you're, you're pretty much set. Unless you do something really ridiculous, you, 
you either move up or you move out. And most most of the time, most people move up or they move into something better. But you saying your 80% could have gotten you through that hurdle and work and proceed in the career, but you didn't feel passionate enough. I want you to speak, speak to that a little bit because people that are younger and in their early stages of their career are really listening to this podcast and they're saying, hey, you know what? It is my dream to go into Goldman to work in, work in an organization like that. But man, if someone like you can say you're not passionate about it and you want to go chase your own dream and be 100%, what does that tell me about um, my own goals and my own dreams? I appreciate the question. I, I guess my really my my knee jerk reaction to that that last piece of it of what does it say about my own goals or dreams? It means nothing. Mm. And meaning everybody has their own goals and dreams in, in life. And for the listeners who are thinking, man, how do you give up Goldman Sachs? Like that's my dream job. Mm-hmm. And it's a goal goal of mine, what I would say to them is great. That's great for you. And and let me tell you that if you achieve it, you're going to work at a great institution and you're going to work with really good people, smart, intelligent, good, good people. And I think you'll have a, a great career there. So if that's your dream, that's your goal, go and do it. Go for it. It just wasn't mine. And uh, now with that said, it was mine in, in, in business school. And mm-hmm. I thought, hey, that's where I want to go. That's where I want to work. That's what I want to do for a living. And then I started to do it and realized, hey, look, I, no, it's, it's been a good experience, but it isn't for me. Specifically, why isn't it for me is... That idea, as I said earlier, I want to, and I'm fortunate enough in my life to to do something that I'm, I can give my true hundred percent doing. And I feel like if you're not passionate about something, you may work really hard, try, try extremely, um, you know, try extremely hard at whatever it is you're doing, wake up in the morning and give an honest day's effort. But unless you're passionate about it, I question if you can really give what your true hundred percent is. Mm. So it's really about giving your true hundred percent, no matter what your dream is. Just find that passion, follow it, give you give your hundred percent, and don't try to coast on the eighty percent that you think can get you through um, the day or your career, as it were. That's just <laughs> that. That's just my feeling for. Mm. For, for me, again, some people will say, you know, hey, but that's easy to say if you don't have kids or you don't have a house payment and, mm. and all of those things. And I would and I would readily agree with them that that's why people give me a lot of credit for starting my own business. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I quickly point out and I say, well, thanks. And yes, you do assume some level of risk when you start your own business. And yes, there's the opportunity cost. I did give up a high salaried position at Goldman Sachs. It was a number of years before I even made what I was making equivalent at Goldman Sachs after starting my own business. Mm. But is, but 
when I did start my own business, when I made that transition from Goldman Sachs to starting my own business, I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. I didn't have a house payment. My girlfriend, my now wife at the time, she did. She she was able to support us. Mm-hmm. So d- do I really, my risk profile at that time was very different than a lot of people who may find themselves really wanting to start their own business. Yeah, but they they have a different risk profile right now and maybe they can't. Maybe they have to do a job that they're giving at their 80%. Mm-hmm. And, and hey, I respect it. I respect it and, and, and appreciate that we have responsibilities. You get older, you, you find yourself with, with other responsibilities other than just yourself. And, and you do need to make decisions with other people's interests at heart. If you're still able, if you're still with those other uh, responsibilities and you're still able to say, hey, I'm still going to make the jump, man, that's that's awesome. And I give people a lot of credit who I, I give any entrepreneur credit because it's going to be challenging. Mm. But those individuals who are going to make the the leap from Goldman Sachs to starting their own business, married with children, kids at home, a house payment, man, that's a different level. Mm. So now what was the problem you were trying to solve when you started the program? What what bred the idea and what, what led you to starting it and what was the problem you were trying to solve? Yeah, I... <laughs> Let, let me tell you that so many people after, over the 11 years have, have told me, Eric, man, the program, what a great idea. And I'm the first guy to, to very quickly respond with, you're right. It, it is a good idea. It's not my idea, but, it, but it's a good idea, though. <laughs> and what I mean by that is when as I was transitioning from Goldman Sachs, I thought I was working, I, I played college lacrosse at the Naval Academy. I was working as an assistant lacrosse coach at a prep school outside of Boston. Mm-hmm. At, at that prep school and then the other schools where we played, they all had really nice strength and conditioning facilities. They all had really nice gyms on their campuses. But they, were, they would only get used between 3.30 and 6.30 or 3.30 and 5.30 every afternoon. And there was usually just the teacher that was in there that would sign kids' names in that they attended, that they went to the gym, and they were there to make sure kids didn't kill themselves. Mm. And what I thought at the time was, hey, I'm going to start my own business that provides hourly strength and conditioning coaches to these schools. It doesn't afford them. It's not worth it to them to have full-time strength and conditioning coaches like colleges do. Mm-hmm. But hey, I'm going to start a company that provides hourly coaches. And we did have a few clients after starting that business. I called it the program, and that was our business. Mm. At the same time, after about a week of being in business, the new lacrosse coach at Harvard University, Harvard Men's Lacrosse, mm. he had been an assistant coach at the Naval Academy. The last thing I did at the Naval Academy, I'm sorry, the last thing I did as a Marine Corps officer, was work at the Naval Academy. Well, I had just shown up there for work and some lacrosse players had gotten in trouble and the head coach had said, hey, Eric, can you come down here and just thrash these guys for a couple of days? So I did. I just went down there and worked out with the team. Now, fast forward a few years later, the assistant coach on that team is the head coach at Harvard University. 
he calls me a week after I start the program and said, and he t- says, Hey, Eric, can you come here and do what you did at Navy? I just took over the softest team in the softest sport in the softest school. So I went out there and, and worked out with the team for a couple of days, did our type of special operations workouts. Mm-hmm. But during it, I called out the ca- captains to the front with me to lead a couple of the exercises. And these are great young men, smart guys, in shape, everything, good people. And boy, they really struggled with leading their team in basic mm. exercises. From that idea, from, from that first event, I kind of got the idea, man, maybe I could do this with a couple other schools. Mm. Well, in our first year in business, we worked, I worked with three men's lacrosse teams. Now, after 11 years, we work with 160 collegiate and professional athletic teams and major corporations annually. We don't work out with teams. It's not a physical workout. I mean, if you saw what it was that I did 11 years ago and what we do now, mm-hmm. you, you, wouldn't, you would think it's two different companies and completely different services. Mm. So it, as I tell everybody, yes, I'm very proud of being the founder of the program. Just as, and I use that pronoun very sparingly, I. But yes, I am proud that I founded the program. Just as quickly, I, I, I highlight to everybody, I would be out of business if it weren't for the we. We have made the program what it is to this point. And, uh, but that idea of, of how I came up with the idea of doing the program and, and that it's, Within a year, we were completely out of the hourly strength and conditioning business mm. and we're just doing leadership development. Mm. Yeah, because in your book, it's purely a leadership development and leadership training book. And you had it broken down in several different sections. So your first section was creating a championship culture, um, you know, teammates, be tough, team leaders, and what have you. And it's from what you're saying now, it's really changed to go f- not just from the physical development, it's now more of the mental because the mental controls the physical. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, some of the lessons you learned in the military that helped you now say, okay, if we work more on the mental, we can actually help that person develop even better than just working purely on the physical side of things. Right. Well, first of all, I would I would highlight to your listeners that all of us are a sum of our experiences. All of us are. And the military and the Marine Corps in particular, but the Naval Academy as well, and, and then the Marine Corps. Yes, that, that experience has had a huge impact on my life and on who I am. Uh, so has so has numerous other experiences in my in my life, getting married, having being a father. Uh, growing up on a farm in northeastern Connecticut. I mean, all these experiences that I've had, um, they all make us who we are, mm-hmm. right? These lessons that we discuss in the book, yes, myself and everybody that works with me at the program is a veteran and or U.S. military combat veteran or served in special operations. And yes, that experience, those experiences have made a huge impact on us we share throughout the book stories from my from my own career as well as all of my teammates' careers mm-hmm. and their experiences while reinforcing the leadership lessons, teammateship lessons, 
that we've learned over those 11 years working with more than 160 college and pro athletic teams and corporations annually. A couple of the highlights for your listeners. I, I think number one, for the entrepreneurs who are just starting their business, the, the one area that I would highlight to all of them without fail right away is figure out what it means to be you. What does your culture stand for? It's why, it, 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 it's why creating and sustaining a championship culture, before we even talk about what it means to be a great teammate and a great team leader, it's why we made creating and sustaining a championship culture the first section of a seven section book because great team leaders and great, I'm sorry, great teammates and great team leaders on my team, it might be very different. They may not be, you might not consider them great teammates and great team leaders on your team or vice versa. What we need to do as an entrepreneur and I, and I do say we need to do it, not it would be good. No, vital for your success is to first define what it means to be one of us. Mm. Define what your culture is. What are your core values? Determine what they are. Define them for your organization. Because any successful company... Yes, it starts with an entrepreneur who maybe has a great idea or, as in my case, does not have a great idea, but figures it out along the way. Mm -hmm. But either way, at some point, they're going to have to hire somebody else. Mm. And when you do so, whether you're an entrepreneur whose company is six weeks old or you're a Fortune 500 company, we are... You are what your people say you are, mm. meaning you can say that we're client focused. Okay, is every single person in your company client focused? Because if they're not, then all you do is have a nice sign that says that we're client focused. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make you client focused. Your people do. And therefore, if there's the first lesson learned that I would highlight to all of your listeners is figure out what your core values are. We, mm. we we give a couple different ways of doing it in our book, but take your time. I know that as an entrepreneur, you've got to make revenue. Mm. You've got to do it. I get it. So you're just focused on the next sale. Understood. While focused on the next sale, be aware and figure out what your core values are because that's what it means to be you. You may change what you do. But who you are is who you are. And that is the single most important thing organizations of any, on any battlefield need to and can figure out. I think that would be the, the number one lesson. Mm. Second, along with that, is the idea of physical and mental toughness. You talked about it earlier. And you talked about how the mental determines the physical. That, that's a true statement. It does. It also works in the other way. Ooh. Our physical de determines our mental. That's why it's vitally important. If we're going to be the best teammate and the best team leader that we can be on all of the teams that we're a part, 
And as we highlight and, and we teach, individuals and individual talent can win games. It, our, our natural talent allows us to do well in life. Mm-hmm. But great teams compete for championships on any battlefield. Mm-hmm. And great teams are comprised of great team leaders and great teammates. <clears throat> I know that we fill many different, we have many different titles on the different teams that we're on. But our primary role is of team leader and or teammate. That's true for us as husbands, fathers, wives, mothers, business owners, CEOs, or directors of sales, directors of marketing. We we all have very different titles, but our primary role in the best teams, they have those titles too. Mm -hmm. They have teams and teammates on those teams who are committed to being the best team leaders and best teammates that they can be. To be the best teammate and best team leader that we can be, it is vital for us to be physically and mentally tough. Physical toughness, 90% of physical toughness is physical fitness. We, this isn't Eric Capitulic or the program saying this. This is science, which says that the better shape we are in, the more energy we will have. That, that's not the program. That's science. That science, tells us. Yeah. Exercise produces energy. We're all on lots of teams. They all require great energy from us. The more we exercise, the more energy we have to give to all of those teams that we are on. Mm. I cannot overstate it enough. Number one. Number two, mental toughness. Mental toughness, all of our jobs, I highlight in the book, Climbing Mount Everest, which I had, which I did a few years ago. People will tell me, boy, Eric, climbing Mount Everest, it's all mental. Whenever somebody tells me that, the first thing I think is, hmm, obviously you've never climbed Mount Everest (laughs) because it is definitely not all mental. Mm. In fact, it's 98% physical. The 2% mental is what can kill you, though. Mm. Regardless of what our jobs may be, I appreciate that many people listening to this, their job is not 98% physical. Mm -hmm. But in our day-to-day lives, there's some percentage. Maybe it is 98% mental. Maybe it is 2% physical. But for all of our lives, there's some percentages of both. Mm -hmm. Commit to becoming mentally and physically tougher. We talked about physical toughness, mental toughness, just a a very quick thing for your audience is to remember that mental toughness, so much of what people consider to be mental toughness is actually just good habits. Okay. It's just good habits where somebody says, oh man, that... When things were, when they were down and out, when they're tired and frustrated, boy, they still made great decisions. Yes, that's because they're mentally tough. Mm. And yes, what is that mental toughness based on? Is the good habits that they've created in themselves up to that point. There's a reason why in times of great stress, somebody just starts yelling and screaming. Mm -hmm. You don't yell and scream because you're under stress. 
No, it's because you've got a bad habit. And mm. that's why you do it. You can just as easily remain calm and talk in the same tone of voice that we're talking right now. Mm-hmm. But that's a habit that we've got to create. Mm. Develop better habits. Third, uh, if, if you if you press me on a, on a third, is, is quite frankly, I, I think that when you're talking about being great team leaders and great teammates, when you're talking about being physically and mentally tough, anything in life requires discipline. And we've got to be disciplined. Mm-hmm. Without discipline, and I'm not talking military, hey, drop and give me 20 type of discipline. No, I mean the ability to get up every morning and do what's right, not what's easy. Mm -hmm. To do what you need to do to be successful. Mm. We all know the things we need, or most of us know the things that we need to do to be successful, or at the very least, we can go find out from somebody the things we need to do to be successful. Mm -hmm. That's not the difficult part. The tough part is, is having the discipline to then go and do it every single day, Mm. every single day, no excuses, no excuses. That requires great discipline. Mm -hmm. Now let's talk a little bit about that discipline before we start to wind down the show, because in your book, you mentioned, you know, discipline is not just like, um, write, write it down logo and say, oh, we're disciplined. It's about creating standards and then the standards have something else you have to put in place, goals and values and whatnot. So let's, let's, let's dwell a little bit on discipline because I know this is especially tough for most people because, hey, okay, you have your job, which is, okay, take for example, you're a salesperson. You're supposed to make, you know, X, Y, and Z amount. Let's, let's call it a million dollars in sales a year. And you know that means you have to call 10, 20 people every single day because it's only one or two percent that's gonna close. But people get tend to like get discouraged, distracted when things are not going as planned and and they make excuses like you just said. So things start to fall off and then it just spirals out of control. So so let's 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 dwell a little bit more and build up on that discipline before we wind down the show and say, hey, what are the things you need to do? to create this culture of discipline and how do you stick to it so that you can see the success you want to see in your career? Yeah, it's a great question. Let's use the the salesman that you just talked about because I know that uh, entrepreneurs are are a big part of of your listeners. Mm -hmm. And I don't know of an entrepreneur or of a company that's going to be successful that if you're the entrepreneur, you can't also or don't also need to be a great salesman. Mm -hmm. And if not, then you better hire somebody to be one Mm -hmm. real quick, right? Mm -hmm. And again, staying with that same example, the, it does not take great discipline to make phone calls. When every time you make a phone call, somebody picks up the phone and says, sure, I'll buy it. Mm. It doesn't take great discipline. Mm -hmm. You only show your discipline on the tough days. Mm. The, what we suggest is this. Okay, if you say that you're a disciplined person or that you need discipline and you wanna develop your discipline, here's how you do it. 
write down on a sheet of paper and say, okay, in, in my job, what do I, what do I have to do? What's mission critical for me to be successful? Your point was, okay, I have to make 20 calls a day. Okay, write down discipline at the top of the page and then underneath it, write 20 calls per day. Mm-hmm. Don't, do not write down 10 things that make you disciplined. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. Because if you do 10 things, if you write down 10, you're not going to do any of them. Mm-hmm. Write down one thing. For now, just write down one thing because mental and physical toughness, discipline, any of those values can be taught. They can be learned. It's a mm-hmm. choice, mm-hmm. but it doesn't happen overnight. It, it, there's a reason why the gyms are packed on January 1st and there's nobody there on February 1st. Mm-hmm. Okay. Write down disciplined in my job means I make. 20 calls a day. And by the way, if you know you are not going to do it, you're not going to do 20 calls or you don't make any right now, write down that you make 10 sales calls a day, five, whatever. And then do it every single day. Just do it every single day until it becomes the expectation that you have for yourself. And the minute it becomes an expectation then either increase the number of calls that you have to make or add something else that proves your discipline every single day. Do not, if you say, hey, I've got to make 10 sales calls every day. Okay, and on, but you miss on Monday, but on Tuesday you do 20 and you make up for it. Mm. You're undisciplined. Mm. You're undisciplined. Why? Because you said, I have to make 10 sales calls every single day. Mm-hmm. That means 10 every day. There's, there's, there's no gray area here. If you think a disciplined person makes 50 calls a week, okay, then write down 50 calls a week. But the, what the example was, was no, a disciplined person makes 10 every day, which mm-hmm. by the way, I would argue because it's something that you have to do on a daily basis because if you don't do it daily, it's not habit forming. Yeah. So do it. And people, it's not that people are disciplined or undisciplined. It's that people that we perceive as disciplined, they do disciplined things. Mm-hmm. We have to, if you, if you consider yourself undisciplined or you just know you are, then start to do disciplined things. And what I argue is, do one discipline thing first. Man, Eric, I love that statement. I love that. That, that, that really summarizes the whole point and keeps it succinct. So do disciplined things if you want to be disciplined. So now, Eric, as we start to wrap up the show, um, looking, look, looking across the spectrum of your career thus far in the military, in civilian life, as an entrepreneur and a business owner, do you think there's anything you could have done differently to help you get on the journey to success faster? For, for me, uh, and I don't want to project to, to anybody in your audience, I'll, mm. I'll, I'll just say for me, I want to speak for myself. 
I would not consider myself, well, A, I don't consider myself a success. I feel that success is the goal that I'm constantly striving for, but I, I don't even like to think that at some point I will find myself telling myself that I'm successful because that means I probably am going to get up tomorrow morning and not as hungry as I do when I wake up this morning. Right. Okay. But, um, but I feel like if we're, if we're chasing success, um, I don't consider success to be, well, I have a great business, but my marriage is in shambles and my, I have no relationship with my kids Mm -hmm. or, um, my business is a success and I'm still married, but my kids have gotten involved in, you know, they're in and out of substance abuse facilities because I was so focused on my business. I wasn't focused on them or boy, maybe I have a great family and I've got a great business, but my own personal health is, is horrible. Mm. Like I, I can't, for me, my goal and and what I feel success looks like for me is to be accomplished in all facets of my life. Okay. And that's just important for me. I'm not saying it's got to be important for all your listeners, but for me it is. And to, to, to do that is to remember that we all have different titles but the best, but we're all on lots of teams too. And for me, I have to be the best teammate and the best team leader that I can be on all of the teams that I am on. Mm. If there's one thing, getting back to your question, if there's one thing that I would have done, if I could go back in time, I would do differently is I wasn't a very good boyfriend to my now wife. And my something happened uh, where I got a, an award just last week and my wife made the comment to my son, my eight year old son and said, boy, Axel, you see how your daddy is the man is what she had said. And I said, I said, Hey, you know what? Actually, I really appreciate the compliment, but Axel, just so that you understand one of the things that daddy really um, wish he could do wishes he could do over in life is I spent a good part of my life trying to be the man. Mm. Now, now I'm just trying to be a man. If there's one thing and that doesn't affect my business, mm-hmm. one, it hasn't affected my business one little bit. It, it's mm-hmm. not about my own physical fitness piece. Yeah. But it's about a team that I'm on. And mm-hmm. quite frankly, it's my most important team, which is my family. Yeah. That, you asked me one thing I would do differently, it. So with that said, Eric, we've reached the end of the podcast. I want to really thank you for coming to share your story, for teaching us a little bit more about how to become better leaders, especially your words and your principles on discipline. That, that has really helped me quite a bit. I've taken a lot of notes on that. But before I let you go, tell us a little bit more about where people can find you, connect with you, get a copy of the book, the program, and um, anything else you'd like to share. Yeah, thanks. I I appreciate the opportunity. For people who are interested in the program, in our team building and leadership development services, 
I give a, a keynote address to 30 or 40 corporations a year throughout North America. We provide experiential leadership development and team building training, as well as classroom seminars throughout North America. Your, your audience can find out more information on all of who we are and what we do at theprogram.org. Mm. In that same website, you'll see that our book called The Program by the same name can be, can be bought right through our own website, or you can find it at amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, among others. Great, great. And I'll be sure to put a link to that in the show notes once this episode is edited and ready to go live. So thanks a lot for coming to share your story, Eric. I truly appreciate you taking the time to do this today. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it again. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the show today. If you love what you hear on today's episode of the podcast, go to iTunes and leave a review and a comment. It helps other great listeners like yourself find the show. And of course, you can always find more episodes of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast at www.odogwu.com.